should be in here. He's all alone. And he scored! Sensation of Wembley from Sunderland and Fabio Marini. And still might. Phillips is clear. Kevin Phillips! The nationwide league player of the year is now the nation's leading scorer of the season. To the What the Fork podcast and another Wembley special episode. Um, first and foremost, I just want to give a huge thank you to the listeners for your nice comments on the, the Conor McLaughlin interview slash Wembley preview and the Wigan preview, of course, the normal show as always. And also a massive thank you to Wise Men Say, Walker Report, Speak Sunland, and all the other Sunland podcasts and the ones unfortunately I haven't mentioned there. For your excellent coverage of the upcoming game, please make sure that you get involved with all of those podcasts. As we do like to say, it is cheesy, but we're all Sunland and the amount of content that everyone's churning out seems to be enjoyed by lots of different people. Um, so feel free, if you've only listened to this podcast, to go and listen to those ones I've mentioned. But in today's episode, obviously we're going to be focusing on our favourite Wem- favorite Wembley moment even. Sorry, I'm not excited. I can't get my words out. Um, our funniest memory, a little bit of bad memories. Um, and then we're going to choose our ultimate SAFC five-a-side Wembley team. We're going to try and keep it to approximately half an hour but we ramble so this is probably going to go over and if you look at your episode now and it says two hours then obviously you know that we are lying joining me today is our regulars first and foremost as always it's brad sharp brad i've introduced you first how are you doing mate you all right i'm absolutely delighted now ah <laughs> dear just been out and got all the supplies for the car journey down i've got the missus out there with the anti-back wipes on the leather giving it a good clean good hoover Poor woman only had a C-section five weeks ago, but she knows um, what I need so I can partake in this wonderful podcast and uh, preview this amazing weekend. Absolutely respect that. Thank you very much, uh, Mrs. Sharp. Miss Sharp. Probably got it wrong. but um, And second of all, you've probably noticed it's going to be Dave Lawrence. Dave, if podcasts were shit, you would be the fly. Um, Dave Lawrence, how are you doing? Are you all right? <laughs> yeah, not bad. Insulted, but, uh, you know, it's it's like Ant and Deck, saying Deck and Ant, isn't it? It's just wrong. Or any famous Sunderland fans that we could think of instead of Geordies. What? Yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm good. Looking forward to the weekend. Absolutely buzzing. I've got, well, well I should have had a full 14 hours of work a day, but the little ones weren't bad. So uh, um, I've got dad duties for a couple of hours, and then I'm back at work tonight, and then I might have a beer or two to calm myself down. Was that a tactical sickie from the youngin? Uh, it's a great move from her. I got a phone call at work at about 20 to 11. Littlin's not very well. You need to come pick her up. All right, yeah, no problem. See you later. In reference to today's podcast, as we said before, I'm going to be going through a few different Wembley things, because I know Wembley's not been a great hunting ground for Sunderland, but let's forget about that for a bit. In in truth, Wembley's a great day out for a lot of Sunderland fans, and we've had a lot of fun, um, obviously, sort of going there, um, just not always being the result. But first thing I want to sort of get, and I'll, I'll go with you first, Brad, because now that I've gone with you first for once, um, first time all season, mate, really basic, straightforward question. But what's your best Wembley memory and why? Um, best one I've had quite a few actually but I'm going to say 1998 was going with my dad and my granddad I've mentioned it previously it was just seeing the amount of Sunland fans that were there I was just in awe of how many had travelled down from the northeast. Um, the memory itself was just a full day if I'm honest with you the ups and downs of, of emotions of being ahead of being pegged back being ahead and then just the penalty shootout and then 
you know that that's a good memory when it's still talked about 24 years later. Is it 24? Aye, we've got 24 years later. So, yeah, that, that's... I'd say it's not just one pinpoint memory. I would just say that is the best memory. It's just the full day down there. If I was to say a single memory, it would probably be recent times. Um, I was down for the Barini goal, but I wasn't in the ground. So I'm going to go with McGeady equalising in the last minute against Portsmouth. It's just the one ultimate euphoric moment. Is my word, I was one war, I was war two behind that goal, and I've never seen scenes like that. And like the commentator said, is this place is shaking, <laughs> and it was genuinely like it would have recorded something like a three on the Richter scale because it was bouncing. And yeah, so I go with it. It's two memories for different reasons. <laughs> um, them and that's them too. I'll, I'll no more pass this on to Brad, but uh, sorry, Dave, but um. I'm, I'm going to come in with you on that. I think it's funny because if I'm honest with you, the Checker Trade Trophy is the least gutted I've been at Wembley. Like, I wasn't that bothered about the trophy itself um, because it is like a bit of a tin pot trophy, if I'm honest. But it was like a day at Wembley and we'd had all those like years previous where it just been crap. We came off the back of two sort of relegations. Days at Sunderland weren't great. Haven't been that great since, if we're completely honest. But um, I was right behind the goal when McGeady scored, and it was weird for like literally like thirty seconds. I really cared about winning the Checker Trade Trophy. Before ten minutes later, I was like, "All oh, right, fair enough." Um, got beat on pens, and I wasn't that bothered. I mean, you never like to lose at Wembley, but I, I was like, as long as we get promoted. As I remember on that day, I was going to be fine. But for that kind of thirty-second period when McGeady scored and I was right behind the goal and pretty much in the same sort of seats, but the other side this time, um, it was just total chaos. Like everyone was just flying over everyone. And it just felt like a good moment for Sunderland for once. Um, obviously I was, I was at the Man City game for Barini scored and that was a good memory, but I'm going to be honest, I was coming off the back of like a five day bender because I'd been on my stag do. People will notice that, uh, that didn't go very well because now that stag do is a divorce. Um, but it wasn't based on a divorce. But I basically, for the, the plan that I wanted was I wanted to go to Dortmund for my stag do. So a load of the lads went over to uh, went Dusseldorf. And it turned out that we booked this weekend and we were like, it was well before the fixtures came out in the Bundesliga. And we kind of hoped that Dortmund would come out um, at home on like the Saturday or the Sunday. And the way it worked out is, it wasn't just Dortmund at home on the Saturday. It worked out where Fortuna were at home on the Friday. Dortmund were at home on the Saturday. And then Sunderland got to Wembley on the Sunday. It was just like, God, if he exists, had realised that like I needed a really good stag do and just kind of everything aligned at the same time. And when Barini scored, it was class. Like, I kind of put in... A, that, that's my favourite season supporting Sunderland because of obviously beating the Mags twice, Walton and the ones at St James's. The Great Escape, which was amazing. The Wembley journey, Old Trafford away. There's so many memories in that season. But I had better memories that season than Barini scoring. I know some people see that as like the pinnacle because that was like the moment of hope and at half time you, you thought, hang on a minute, are we going to do this? Surely Yaya Toure won't score a 45-yard cross, will he? Um, lo and behold, he decided he fancied it that day. But um, you know, when it comes to like memories, for me, it was actually McGeady. Um, on total flip side, it's like, to go into my personal life a little bit, it was literally the checker trade was three weeks after my, my marriage sort of broken up, shall we say. So, you know, I'm not in the best mental space. I don't need to go into it that much. And also something had been crap, like, for years. And everything just culminated in that sort of one moment of, like, oh, my God, I've just seen a score and equalising the last kick of the game an extra time. It did dawn on you, like, two minutes later, oh, shit, it's pens. But it was just amazing. Um, Dave, what's yours? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we put the disclaimer in that we all like rambling because, uh, yeah, people will be loving this. So we're already on question one. <laughs> Love it. Um, oh, mate, oh, so many, like, I must admit, I haven't got the greatest memory in the world, especially just in general. Um, and you two are a lot better at recalling things than me. But I've spoken to my dad about it quite a bit lately. My dad's 72, bless him, and he's, he, you know, he's 
let's put it this way, we weren't missing out on an opportunity there to go to Wembley this time. Um, obviously, you'd, you'd help sort me out, but there's nine family members and friends going as well. And obviously, I, I agree with a lot of debate on, on Twitter about kind of who deserves and who doesn't deserve to go and stuff like that. And um, so basically, because we're all down south and stuff and how, how do we organise tickets and whatever, or what have you, we basically, uh, every time we get the opportunity, we go and buy hospitality uh, and put it through the business. So it's not a cheap day out, but he's 72 and he ain't going to miss the chance to, to get to go again and however many times he gets to go. But, um, yeah, it, my actual favourite memory, probably not within a game, but is the 1992 FA Cup final. Um I had been to games probably two years prior to that. I was six in '92, and just I just remember we had a we had a pub in Siltsworth, um, which I'm sure a lot of people from up home will, will remember, uh, called the Cavalier. And I remember a mate and my dad's coming round at about four o'clock in the morning. My mother getting us ready, sticking me big jacket on and stuff, as you know. And it's like you know, get yourself all, keep yourself warm and whatever. And then jumping on the train, and it was just unbelievable as a six-year-old like seeing how many people were on the train down to King's Cross and getting round about Wembley Way and it was just mad for a six-year-old who hasn't been outside of Sunderland let's be honest with you I, I was just kind of like what is this this is absolutely mad and I probably did cry unfortunately when we got beat I was probably that kid that you saw on the telly but yeah I think that's my greatest ever Wembley memory of course like you said, for an hour in the in the League Cup final in 2014. We were living the dream, weren't we? You, you just, you see things like Rangers yesterday, 100,000 fans when they've got 9,000 tickets. And you just know that if Sunderland ever did anything, we're up to, we're up to fit, but I'm not going to lie, there's probably going to be 50,000 Sunderland fans in that ground on Saturday. Because I've no doubt there's a few in Wickham. There's definitely hospitality tickets gone. There's probably going to be people stood outside the ground as well. And this is for a League One playoff final. Can you imagine if we ever did anything proper? Jesus Christ, I think it would be magical. But, um, yeah, thought I'd ramble on a bit. But that's definitely my favourite memory. 92, albeit the result wasn't great. And probably Barini's goal in 2014, I think. Uh, Barini's goal. I mean, I know touching it before and said it wasn't my favourite and the McGeady one was, but like, honestly, going back to when Gus came on the podcast, we're looking at nearly two years ago now. Casual drop in for that if you didn't know. There's a two part with Gus Poy in episode 14 and 15. I think we're now on 204, 205 episodes. So it's a while back. But you saying someone said to him at, um, at half time, he was just like, thanks for like making us believe. And he was like, what do you mean? We got beat. It's not half time, like I believed for a minute. And you you don't really believe with Sunderland. Like, if I'm honest with you, I mean, I know other people might be different, might be saying, well, no, I always believe, but I think it's actually like just based on the history of us, like in our lifetime, sometimes we don't really do it. And obviously, our Wembley record when some fans have been there have not been great. Um, talking about memories at Wembley, though, Brad, it's funny because a lot of people have been talking about the Wembley curse and this, that, and the other. And I think we kind of forget, I certainly forget, if I'm honest with you, which is weird because I wasn't there, that we actually won our last game at Wembley with a clean sheet and we actually don't have a Wembley curse technically. But looking back to the that idea of the Wembley curse, does the Tramia game knock the curse out for you? Does it still feel a bit cursed because we weren't there? The Wembley curse for the club has gone, but the Wembley curse for the fans being there has not gone. I think that's... Everyone, I mean, when you look back in the games in lockdown, you just really forget about that season as a whole, don't we? Like, when we're talking about times we've been in this league, we're talking about more along the games of when people have been there. Um, so, but a lot of that team that are with us today, who are going to be there, you'd say a high number of them were part of the squad that actually bought the curse and have won at Wembley, know what it's about. They think you go do it again. So, <laughs> is the curse lifted? Well, yes, 
but it doesn't feel like it is for us fans because we weren't there to see it. It was literally like we'd watch it in the living room. I was with my granddad, my mom and sister and niece and my son. And it was weird. Like I'm stood in the garden at 10 to 3 and then we go and win. And then 10 minutes after the game, I've had a couple more cans and it's just like, Ma, what's for tea? Like usually it's telling me Ma I won't be home for tea. Where it's like, what is for tea? Um, but finished now. Lifted the trophy. That that's it. But yeah, we have won. We've won at Wembley, and we did see it, but we weren't there. So we just need to do it again tomorrow, and then it will feel like officially that curse is lifted for everyone. It's only when I look back because I remember it really well because it's recorded because I did a um, like a watch along with the Sun and Deco with uh, Copley and Matt Crichton. Um, and Melissa came on for a bit, Melissa Johnson, and it was like it was really odd because it was like getting with one at Wembley, but the whole world was so bizarre at that point. I cannot deny that I was just like, oh, you know what it is? Like, would it be nice this just to go into Wembley in a trophy? That's not really that important. And I know some people think it's really important, and that's fair. Dude, just, just to me, like the Papa John's is like, nah, like this is so much bigger. Um, in previous Wembley appearances, like in like you know the Colin Cup and stuff like that, I've been so much bigger. But it was also like oh, I felt like I totally missed out on that, and it was like one of the, the, my biggest disappointments of of the pandemic was a I couldn't go to games, and b I couldn't to see something when at Wembley because I didn't know how fast we'd be back so soon. Um, but it still feels a bit cursed to me a little bit, like you say. I think because the fans are the heartbeat of any football club. Um, and I think the pandemic definitely shown that. And while the club and there'll be players in that team like um, Burge, Unai and um, Gucci, obviously who scored in that day, that will obviously hold that memory really dear. Even just talking to Conor McLaughlin the other day and, and hearing Max Powers speak the other day um, on the Rapport podcast, you could you could see it was kind of like, oh, we were in the dressing room within 10 minutes. And like without fans, like 40s now, is it? And I kind of feel like we need this win regardless we need to win but like from a, a fan's perspective it does feel a little bit like oh something to win at Wembley for once I don't discount the Papa John's trophy which I have a ticket for I think all of us bought tickets for I've got a, one of the programs with Maxi Power on the front and stuff like that <laughs> the, tickets, does... the, the tickets for the game we couldn't go to were better than the tickets of the game that we are can't they <laughs> if you've received them <laughs> yeah these are like actual stubs but like we've had to print these ones off on A4 paper and fold them in two parts and oh mate. It's a whole new Wembley thing. I've been to um England games like four or five of them at Wembley over the past year and so and like it was weird because at uh, at the Euros you had like a special UEFA app where you just kind of pinged them in. Whereas the these recent ones have been like printed off and folded in. And it's a nightmare because when you're trying to print them off, honestly trying to get those print offs in that like pre-warning everyone going on Saturday trying to put them into Wembley if you haven't been since the pandemic you've got to fold it about 40 times just to get the QR code to scan so be aware of that as you're walking in but um, if, it, uh, if it makes you feel any better spending three grand on hospitality tickets you don't get any better either especially with our uh, Epson Inkjet 47 printer which has been around for 483 years so yeah I doubt even the QR codes will work on Saturday for my lot the best thing about that is, though, is that uh, we've been charged the privilege for it. Anyway, enough of the negative stuff. Jesus, I'm sounding like a, a disgruntled old man here. Crikey. Um, what have I got next on the list? We kind of covered this in a way, but I think we spoke about it in terms of Wembley memories. So I was going to ask what your favourite goal is for someone at Wembley, but I know what I've said McGeady, I know we've touched on Barini and stuff like that, but I think, like, favourite moment can sometimes be different to favorite goal like what's the best because for me maybe mcgeady's free kick was probably the best actual goal i've ever seen there wasn't the most mental i went definitely wasn't and it definitely doesn't hold the most memories with me but <laughs> there's also a point here i thought this one at you date uh brad sorry i've done that twice now i've got to make sure i get you back in the normal order that i have you then i put you first and i keep on going back to dave um I thought this to you, Brad, but is technically, do you also feel a bit robbed that we didn't get to celebrate that playoff final goal? Because do you remember that moment when, was it Saar scored that one goal? 
Yeah, that one, mate. I was talking to my mate's father, and he was, I was wearing the west side, and we were up the top. So we were shooting to the right, and he was sat to my left. And it was just like, because the ball was down there, I was just like, oh, having a bit crack with him. And next thing, I'd just seen the ball trickling in, because everyone was like, oh, it's in, it's in. <laughs> and then I looked and went, who scored that? And he went, oh, Charlton, no, who scored it? <laughs> and it shows you the replay, and I looked, and we were just laughing. But it was just like, there was no euphoria of celebrating. But for the best goal, um, I've got two, and for very different reasons. Um, if we'd have been there last season, I would say Gucci's goal, because McGeady's pass was unbelievable. Yeah. Like, for, for how good of a goal that was, that we would have went mental. But I can't really say that, because, again, I wasn't there. I, mean, I don't... It's the only time we've won, but I can't really count any of them because, yeah, we weren't there. So for me, it was Niall Quinn's header at the near post off Summerby's corner. Because oh. to this day, every time I've watched it back, I do not know for the life of me how he's got it between the defender on the post and the post. It just seems impossible to get it on that angle. Um, so for me, that was the best goal. There's, I mean, I think all four that day were very good goals. Um but that one, every time I watch it, it just I can't understand how he's got his head on it at the near post and it's managed to go in. It's weird, really, isn't it, Dave? I don't know. I think we're about the same age, so you'll probably remember it. And I think I've told this story before that I wasn't at the playoff final in 98 because my dad booked the whole day. The day after we got beat 4-0 or 4-1 off Redden, he said, oh, we're never going up. And then, lo and behold, we didn't lose a game after that for about nine months or whatever um, until the playoff final. But... um talking about Wembley memories and stuff, and I was a lot younger, and I wasn't at Wembley, but I remember watching it. I was in a full gold kit with the navy shorts, the gold socks, in a bar in Thailand, crazy early in the morning, because obviously the time difference was so massive, and because the game went on so long. But um, I still sometimes feel that 4-4 draw with Charlton. I still struggle to watch it back. Like I don't want to talk about bad memories too much, but um, the game was just so amazing. And I think it took me a good... I think it took me till I was in my 20s to watch that back, you know, if I'm honest with you. Um, do you ever, like, do, do you watch back the Wembley games or do you kind of more just allow yourself... Like, if we get beat, do you watch them back or do you allow yourself just to have the memory of the, the weekend and stuff? No, mate, I must admit, I've, I've, I've probably watched them. I've probably seen them all. And that's... I, I still... I still live through every single minute of that Charlton game because it's like it it's awesome, back, it? it's forwards. It, 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 it takes so much out of you emotionally. And luckily, we're a, we're a Sunderland podcast, so people are going to understand what we're talking about because there's probably some people out there listening and go, emotionally drained, you what you're talking about. But it is literally ex- exactly everything the playoffs is, is meant to be for, for a neutral. That game is like, what you want to record and show people who don't necessarily love football. This is why we love football. And obviously it's not great when you're from the receiving end of it. You know, we, we have a horrible record in playoffs um, to the point that we've never won one and still been promoted. I mean, how Sunderland can you get? <laughs> but yeah, I've, I've seen them. I've, I still watch, I've still got the 73 uh, FA Cup final on DVD. I still watch that because my dad likes to throw in my face how he was stood in Wembley on his own and I, I can only imagine the scenes after it, you know. Um, 92 one really breaks my heart because, as I say, it's the first real, real game that I remember fully. So to actually relive that and all, well, we, we've spoke a few times, haven't we? about how much that 92 team of, of the likes of John Byrne who scored in every round of the every round of the FA Cup on, until the final and Bruce Grovelar made a great save against John Byrne in that final as well when it was at nil-nil and who knows how it would have went that's what it's about so yeah I, I do watch them but I totally understand what you mean with the Charlton one because I, I, I still believe every time I re-watch it that the outcome's going to be different <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like living in a fantasy, but yeah, it's it's probably the one that sticks in my mind the most. Probably because of my age, twelve year old. It's probably right at the right time to 
to understand what it's about, really, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm so desperate for it to be. You can probably hear it in my voice, and people are going, "Oh, you're meant to be cheering us up, man!" But like, kind of, kind of, I picked them. 1973. It wasn't born, sadly, but I think that's why we're. It's mad when you think about it that we're not even more emotionally scarred. Like, why have we got 50,000 fans going down to Wembley with our Wembley record and the scarring that's come with it and the penalty defeats and all that kind of stuff that goes with it? But you know what? I, I kind of thought about that and I thought, why do we go down Wembley? And, and before we go into our like Wembley five-a-side team and sort of bring the pod to a, maybe a second half, I don't know, it depends when the, the minutes run out here because they're uh, still a cheapskate, still not paying for uh, premium uh, Zoom. Um, I sometimes think we go there because we love the club. Uh, you kind of get rid of it. You kind of choose who you love. It's really unfortunate. Because um, if you could, we'd all be, I don't know, AC Milan supporters or something. Um, but we do love the club and the weekends that we have and the time that we have and the days and the nights that we have before and afterwards and the sometimes drowning sorrows, sometimes just drowning anything before the game, isn't it? If it's Trafalgar Square Coven. But away from the game, away from what happens on the pitch, Brad, what are the kind of Wembley moments that stick with you most and, and why? Um, it was Trafalgar Square for me. I remember going to Covent in 2014 and it was good. It was actually really good, but it was very cramped. That's what I remember from it. And there wasn't, like, there was people singing, but you were just stood in one place. But Trafalgar Square, in particular the Portsmouth game, was absolutely incredible. It's just that many fans in one area and you've got kids having a swim in the in the fountain. Um, on a previous pod, you made me aware when I went the second time that there was actually a woman defecating in there and then I decided to go for a swim. Um, so I'll be getting myself wrapped up <laughs> if, the, if I'm to do that on Friday night. Good um, job, there'll be plenty of hand sanitizer around this time. Huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Might take a little bit bubble bath. <laughs> Um, What's not liquid? Yeah, it's the it's the night before me, and then you've got people stood in the plinth, and a few people sat on the lions. Again, I've been in both areas, <laughs> just singing. There's flares going. Um, just seeing people. I was obviously when you're at the, when you're at the games, it, it's you, you meet new people, but then you run into them in London, and, and it's just like you, we could have been sat anywhere because you get. Or like you, you, you could have went anywhere at night and you just run into them down there. People, people from up here, they've maybe seen for a while. You stand and you're having a drink with them. The whole night itself, just well, whole day and night, it's just brilliant. And sometimes you just forget we have a game to go and watch tomorrow. It just seems like it, 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 with Sunderland, you could just say like put a, a tweet out, right? All Sunderland fans, let's just go and congregate and have a night's party. And a lot of them would turn up, and that's what it feels like. We were doing. We we're there for the for, for the the party itself, and I think it showed, especially on the Charlton game, because the next day everyone was hanging. And Salmon Pants himself said that we got outsung, and that's because mate, my head was bouncing. That could not be asked. Parasite. Um, I might take it a bit easier this time. I'm taking my boy. It's the first time he's going down, so I'm going to be a little bit more sensible. I'm not going to try and go and visit the Queen in Buckingham Palace, for example. Um, I think I'll be a bit more sensible, but I think I will enjoy it just the same. I, 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 if he wants to go and have a little jump in the fountain, feel free. I'll just make sure I've <laughs> I've watched who's been in there beforehand and what they've been up to. Should I, um, brothers, should I unpack that bottle of Sambuca I've brought then? Oh, no, no. I, I, I'm, I'm going to take it easy. I didn't start. Oh, come on. I mean, but the last time when I'm touching on the Queen, when I mentioned it on the, was it the Wise Men Say uh, night that they'd done on uh, before last year's? It was. It was just a quick I said it was the second time when I went down for the Charlton game. I was in a bit of a, a bad place mentally. Um, Graham said, you said that you had just splitting up with your partner before the Pompey one, with Charlton one. It was two weeks after my ex decided that she loved someone else a little bit more and didn't tell me and let me view that for myself. But. <laughs> He's a son of a fan as well. There's a high possibility he might listen to this. <laughs> I'm sure we weren't doing bad vibes today, weren't we? Nathan is. Nathan is here, lads. <laughs> All right, divorce dad. Yeah, I, 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 I took it a bit too far, and then me and my two pals thought, wow, just along from Buckingham here, so we started going the mile. 
And the security said, no, you're not going any further, lads. All oh, right, neighbor. So we went a little bit to the right-hand side and there's some gardens and looks like mansions, to be honest, the cars parked outside. So we had a little hop along then. We found this little side alleyway and it was manned by the scruffiest, skinniest little man with a the high vis on. He said, like, you can't come down here, lads. <laughs> He's going to stop me. I'm 16 stone, I do my top of 20 stone. I just want to meet the queen. I want to make her a Mackham. And we literally just got him out the way a little bit and we stood at Buckingham Palace Gate singing the Queen's a Mackham. Then the, secu- the, the big guys came along and said, lad, you're going to have to move on. Being down there, getting on the tube, you could be like, st- we're staying Edgeware this time, opposite side of London to someone else. Or everyone's gathered around London. But when you get on the tube, there's always about 20, 30 Sunderland fans on there coming from all over to congregate in one place. And it's just brilliant. In reference to... The second part of this, obviously, we said we were going to do an ultimate five-a-side team. Um, we're going to do an ultimate Wembley five-a-side team with a couple of rules. The rules are as follows. We can only have one player from each team, which makes it a little bit more difficult. And then um, you have to have one goalkeeper is pretty much the only one. But we're going to have a quick break um, because Zoom's telling me I've only got four minutes left, not because we want to. Uh, and we'll be back for you. Might be for us, might be two or three minutes, but for you, it's only going to be... 30 seconds. back to part two uh we've been away for a grand total of two hours now we haven't we were only actually away for about 30 seconds well and hopefully the wait wasn't too long for you and hopefully you enjoyed the interlude um fingers crossed that the part one put you in a decent mood for Wembley <laughs> even though we got pretty grim but uh it'll be all right it'll be fine it'll be all right um that's what it's about memories good and bad but what we wanted to do was a little bit of a challenge for ourselves really um, and pick our ultimate Sunland Wembley five-a-side team. Now, bearing in mind that most of us, our first Wembley experience at earliest, I think, would have been 1990. And obviously, we've, we've seen the game in 1973. But the only rule we've pretty much got is you've got to have a goalkeeper, you can't play a keeper, and you've got to have one player from each five uh, from each of the sides that's played at Wembley. So if you've got, say, for example, Ian Porterfield, you're not allowed to have... Um, Dave Watson, for example. If you've got Nicky Summerby, you're not allowed to have Nal Quinn. If you've got Nal Quinn, you're not allowed to have Kevin Phillips. That kind of stuff, I'm sure it's pretty self-explanatory. I don't know why I've explained it to you like you're all 12 years old. Um, Dave, I'm going to go with you first for part two. Um, it doesn't, mind, doesn't matter if we cross over here. It doesn't matter whether you announce the goalkeeper first. It doesn't matter if you got the same choice as me or the same choice as Brad. It doesn't necessarily change it. If you want to change it, you certainly can, but you don't need to. Um, but who would be your first pick from Sunderland's Wembley five-a-side team and, and, and why would you choose them? Um, I am going to start goalkeeper and it's probably very, very, very predictable. Um, but I believe it was voted the best save at the old Wembley. Um, he's in a Sunderland winning team. So, yeah, my goalkeeper would be quite easily Jimmy Montgomery, I think. Um, I'm not too sure how much explanation needs, but bloke's an absolute living legend, to be honest. And um, yeah, that save—I mean, the first save was good. The second save just defies physics, really. Um, yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, you can't really, can't really, can deviate away. I really think from Jimmy Monty. The only thing I would say is, obviously, the same. I'm, I'm going to go with Jimmy Monty as well because, well, it's not going to be Lionel Perez, is it? Um, and it's no offense, Lee Burge, but probably not going to be Lee Burge either. The only other goalkeeper I think to keep a clean sheet is Wembley. Um, ever, I think, actually. Lee Burge and Jimmy Montgomery, there's a mix for you. Um, but just so we're not missing people out, obviously, Monty, for all the reasons you picked, the double save, the fact that he's a living legend because of it, the fact that he played so many games for Sunderland, um, he's a Sunderland boy. There's no other choice really than Jimmy Monty. And I was kind of tuning and thrown with whether Dave Watson should go in there because obviously Dave Watson's a legend as well at Sunderland. Bobby Kerr, obviously, is a cup winning captain. 
and a cracking drinker for anyone who's been at the fans museum and a really good laugh. Um, and of course, you've got the goal scorer Ian Porterfield, but I just think if I'm going to pick someone from the 73 team, in contrast with the other goalkeepers that you could maybe choose from, I, I just don't think you could have anyone but but Jimmy Monty. But I mean, there's so many honourable mentions there, Dave, from the 73 team as well. Of course, you've got Vic Hallam in there as well. Um, Richie Pitt. There's so many players you could put in there, but I think Monty's also my choice. And I'll go with goalkeeper first. But Brad, you get obviously the, the third choice. Uh, where is it you're going with your first pick? It's all right if it's Monty. That's fine. So do I, I don't have to go goalkeeper yet, do I? No, no. Not if you don't want to. No, I'm going to try and leave that till last night and decide better on other players. So one for me, I'm going to go more recent, and he played in 2014. I'm going to put Marcus Alonso. Marcus Alonso, Marcus Alonso, he's fucking better than Patrice Evra. Carry on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's the one that got away from me. Um, well, you're saying we, were, we could have had him for four million and a season later, lo and behold, he goes to Chelsea for 30 million. Um, yeah. I just thought he is an outstanding footballer and I, I was a bit troubled about who should we put at the back. And then his name just came to me. Um, he's played at the highest level. He's played in Champions League finals. And to be fair, <laughs> he played well on that day as well. We just got done by <laughs> some unbelievable goals and a lucky cross. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to start with a defender and I'm going to put in Marcus Alonso. I've got someone from that 2014 team, which we'll find out shortly. As obviously you do, but like I was thinking about that 2014 team, and there's a lot you can choose from. But the one abiding memory I've got of it when I was going through the side is <laughs> Stephen Fletcher at the end before City scored the third one when he tries to pass it and he fouls out it. Um, so Stephen Fletcher, mate, I actually really like you, but you're not getting in it. Um, you've also got Seb and Cats. So there's a few honourable mentions there. Obviously, I've got a player that I'm going to put in, but that's who you're going with for your first pick. Dave, you have got Jimmy Monty so far. Who's your second pick? My second pick, second pick is based on... Oh, I could pick so many of these as well. But yeah, I've already mentioned in the first part, um, and he's just, uh, he's just another one of my kind of idols from, from 92. Um but uh, mine would be a centre forward, and it'd be John Byrne. Uh, I, yeah, he's just there's many a player from that '92. We we had we had a bit of banter in the WhatsApp group the other day about John Keir, absolute legend of mine. Um, but yeah, my second pick is going to be John Byrne. I think. I think that's self-explanatory. I know that he didn't score at Wembley. Obviously, you mentioned the save from Grobler in part one. I think, but without John Byrne, we wouldn't have got a. Wembley in 92 and rolls up against it against Liverpool. Um, my second choice has got a lot of reason behind it. And it is based on the fact that you wouldn't get me five-side team if I could take other players, right, from other teams, if I could have like a Jimmy Monty and Dave Watson from the 73 team, but rules are rules. Um, max power. Now, the reason I'm having max power is because he's one of only three winning captains. Um, at Wembley and I was never a huge Max Power fan as a player I really like him as a person um, as a player though he won a trophy with us so that's number one and second of all the game against Charlton right I don't want to mention it too much because it wasn't a great day um, and it was one of my worst experiences of supporting Sunderland but I always feel like that game changed an awful lot about 27 seconds in when Max Power went down. And I'm not saying we would have won it if Max Power was fit, but it changed an awful lot about the dynamic of the game, him not playing. He obviously didn't play that much in the Czech trade final. I think he's got a penalty, if I remember rightly. So he's also scored a penalty for Sunderland at Wembley. Um, a good penalty, if I remember correctly as well. But then he, he ended his sort of Wembley appearances with something that Wembley lifting the trophy as captain and then you had to get the fucking tunes on and the kind of stupid dancing and things like that and I think 
you know, because Wembley does have a lot of scars and it does have a lot of not great memories, I think Max Power is probably one of the ones, especially in recent time from, if we're picking one from each squad as best as we can, that would probably fit in. I've got people that will be far more aligned with Wembley that have played for Sunderland and memories of Sunderland at Wembley than Max Power. But um, I thought Max Power deserved a little bit of a shout out and it's not going to go down well with some people. But the one thing I quite liked about Max Power was not his football ability. I'll openly admit I was a bit of a critic, but I never felt like he stopped trying. Um, and he won something with Sunderland and he won it as captain. So fair enough. There's only three of them. Um, and he goes. Brad, who's your third pick? Second pick, even, sorry. My second pick, he could be out of any team, really. Uh, but I'll take him out of a 2019 squad. Because that keeps me available for 2021. I'll include one of them. But 2019, uh, yeah, I don't think he's ever let us down at Wembley. Um, scored three for us at Wembley now. Aidan McGeady. No, it's, aye, two and an assist. Two and an assist. That assist was just as good as a goal, really, wasn't it? Oh. Um, yeah. I mean... Like we touched on earlier, he probably's given me the one single euphoric moment um, against Portsmouth. Um, couple out with the free kick that was unbelievable, and the just, just yeah. I'm just uh, for me, McGeady he, again. He's played at the highest level as well, playing the Premier League. Obviously, played for that lot um, up in Glasgow. Um, he's playing the Champions League, like we said. And he's just all around his class. He's just a class player, class footballer. Um, and yeah, he, he's just never let us down at Wembley. And like you say, he, I mean, to get us to Wembley against Charlton, he played a couple of games with, Bolton, like with the broken foot and with some injections. And he came on with a broken foot to try and get us the win against Charlton. Didn't go as planned. But yeah, I, I just... I'd, you know he's going to be leaving at the end of the season. I think there's maybe a one percent chance he'll be staying. But for me, I, I think he's been the probably the one consistent throughout our the, the bad years that we've had in this division, especially on our trips to Wembley. Yeah, Mister McGeady will go in just behind the striker for me. Yeah, I don't think that's a bad shout. I was toying with McGeady because obviously he's probably done more than Max Power has to be fair. But I figured someone else might have picked him, so I thought I'd. I'd stick with Maxi. Um, so I've got Jimmy Monty and Max Power. Brad, you've got McGeady and Marcus Alonso. Dave, you've got Monty and John Byrne. Time for your third choice, mate. Who's making the next choice? Anyone who anyone who knows me closely, and I, I don't think I'll ever get into the conversation with you two before, to be honest, but my brother, who hopefully has a listen to this, I don't think he gets much time to listen, but he'd be very, very surprised by this pick because these types of players just, they really irk me because they're probably like you were saying about Max Power. They're, they're triers, they're workhorses. They give everything to the cause at some point in their lives, bled red and white. And But I just can't get away with them because they're just limited. I mean, we all know how I feel about... Uh, Good old Smiler, as I like to call him. Um, but this one will surprise people. And, and now I look back on it, and now that we're playing like the worst level of football I've ever seen in my lifetime, I probably now massively underappreciated him. So this is a this is a, an apology as well. But I think the five-a-side thing, he gets around. He, I'm only playing one at the back because, listen, it's all about going forward and scoring goals in five-a-side. Um, so my pick, is Mr. Phil Bardsley. And yeah, it, it'll it'll shock a few people because I've I've never it wasn't a case of not rating him. He just wasn't classy enough for me. But now I look back on it, I tell you what, I'd probably still take Phil Bardsley now in our team at times. So yeah, he, he gets the call for me. Let's be honest, the absolute scenes that he gave us in the semi-final at Old Trafford. <sighs> He deserves to be in on that alone. So, uh, yeah, take a step forward, Mr. Philip Bardsley. Yeah, I'm happy with Bardo. I love Bardo. Uh, he's one of my favourite Sunderland players of all time. Um, hated the mags. 
gave us one of the best memories ever. And there was a period of time where just every time he had a shot from 30 yards, that would flew in the top corner. Um, it's just a shame that he probably best score for Sunderland was against West Brom at home when we got beat 3-2. He scored from about 45 yards out, if my memory serves me right. And it was like a bullet in the top corner, but it literally meant nothing. It was near the end of the season. It meant absolutely bugger all. Um, but yeah, no issues with Bardo. Love him. Love yeah, him. One, one, one I had with Bardo, a memory of him was Everton in the, was it the quarterfinal yeah. uh, at their place. And I ended up with a broken nose and two cracked shins. Because when we scored, you know, their seats are horrendous. Went absolutely mental. And people are pushing me away, saying, no, get away, get away. I'm just covering people. My nose is just spurting blood. Uh, that, that was that was because of Bardo. <laughs> I didn't care. <laughs> um, shout out to the ambulance crew, clean me up. <laughs> um, yeah. I was actually toying between Bardo and Alonso, but yeah, can't disagree with that one. Both good fullbacks, in my opinion, for Sunderland. Um, my second choice is maybe a little bit more obvious, but I think he has to be in every Sunderland team. Um, the greatest Sunderland man that's probably ever lived, in my opinion. Um, bleeds red and white, still does. Uh, greatest captain we'll ever have, in my opinion. Um, and I'm aware that people might be going, where's Rich Carter? But Kevin Ball. Um I was going to say, Corey Evans hasn't played at uh, Wembley yet. So <laughs> Give him time. <laughs> um, Borley, obviously, in 98, was the captain. Um, I want to say he was the captain in 1992 as well. Um, I actually have to check that, but I think he was. Um, but Borley, I, I, how much can you say about Borley that has not already been said? He's just red and white through and through, tough as, tough as old boots, a proper man's man and just someone that I've just got so much time for as a person, as a player, as, as everything. And you know what? Ball, he was a good player. A lot of people talk about him being hard and this. Now nah, he was, but he could tackle, he could pass, he could cross, he could score goals, he could head the ball. Every basic that you want in a footballer that a lot of footballers don't actually have the ability to do, he could do them all to a really good level. Um, so I thought he was technically a very good player as well. Um, and Bolly should be in any Sunderland team, in my personal opinion. And I've noticed that as the years have kind of moved on, that I still would have Bolly in my midfield every single time. So he's getting in my five-a-side team because stick him on the halfway line, I don't think there'll be many opposition teams that I want to really necessarily go past him, not if they value their life anyway. Um, Brad, your third choice, where are you going? Um, yeah, I'll go with a striker. And although he only played 60 minutes in 1998, it's what he'd done that season. And his goal at Wembley broke Brian Clough's record, I think it did. And that's Super Kev. His name speaks for itself, doesn't it? Super Kev. That whole season, he was unbelievable. And his goal, assisted by your man, Bolly, was brilliant. I mean, it, he's, Bolly's just clattered there, lad, hasn't he, with a header? And it's just bounced. And Phillips' instinct is just how good of a goal scorer he was. Rather than take around the keeper, he's just seen Sasha Illich coming. He's just lifted it. And it's just bounced in the far corner. And Yeah. I mean, what else? You just can't... If, if you're a Sunderland fan, you don't even have to say anything. Like you said about Bali. You just don't have to say anything about Kevin Phillips through that era. He was phenomenal. And I'm not solely judging all my picks on the Wembley appearances because I have to say, Phillips only played 60, but he... And I believe if he'd have been fully fit and played the full 90, we probably would have won that game. Um, but in the 60 minutes he was on, he scored. And as a striker, that's all you want them to do. And uh, yeah, I'll go with Super Kev. Yeah, I disagree with Super Kev. Um, just because he's Super Kev, and that don't get called super lightly at Sunderland. Um, there's a reason for it. And yeah, 60 minutes that he was on the pitch, I dare say he would have been one of the penalty takers. And that would have bumped us a little bit further until we had to get Mickey Gray, officially the worst penalty taker of all time. Uh, sorry, Mickey. But um, Dave, give me your, your fourth and fifth choice at the same time. We'll round our fourth and fifth choices off before we go. Um, well, it's, it's got to be my flair players. I've got my keeper. I've got me. I've got me defender. I've got me talisman. So uh, someone who probably brought in a, an era of football for, for us under Peter Reid, who kind of 
just really, really excited me. Um, you know, and again, an, another one who's got a nickname and you can't really disagree with it. Um, very fondly remembered by people of our age, I would have thought, because it was a great era. It was a it was a golden era for Sunderland Football Club without actually winning anything, which is quite ironic, would be Magic Johnson. I just, again, five aside, you know, look at that. He, he's just a magician. You can you can still see him playing Masters football nowadays. Absolutely unbelievable. Um, and again, because of the flair, we, we've already had him, and he doesn't need too much said about him, but McGeady. So, yeah, there's my five. It's uh, it's Monty, it's Bardsley, Johnston, McGeady, and Johnny Byrne. You've literally just said a bottle, right? Sit, sit back. <laughs> Didn't move. Don't come over that halfway line and nail anyone that tries to come past it. Wipe them out. That's exactly it. Exactly how Masters football should be played. Should be played. You they get that half halfway line bar or kick them up a high foot. <laughs> you can totally tell why mine's totally different. And like my first three choices are Jimmy Monty, good goalkeeper, and Bowley and Max Power, who are like <laughs> going to try and keep things tight in the middle. Like you can tell me, I've got definitely Wembley fear because I've got to try to go tight. But um, my fourth and fifth choice, I think uh, probably don't need too much explanation. I've gone for uh, Fabio Barini would be my first choice. Um, permanent Fabio Barini, it wasn't, obviously it didn't work out. And um, looking back, he probably came a year too late. But Barini under, under Poyet was like one of my favourite players of all time. Just... At the time, felt like someone that the whole city fell in love with and all the fans fell in love with. And the women definitely fell in love with him because he's a gorgeous young Italian man. Um, I was then. And I, I remember like at Wembley, Altidore missing out. And I remember feeling quite bad about that because, to be fair, as much as he couldn't hit a, was a barn door with a banjo? Um, he Cow's was off with a banjo. That's one. It was something like that. Um I felt like Aldador had like a part in the semi. I don't know if people remember he came on and he kind of played in the wing and I thought we might potentially go with Aldador up front. Aldador had a really good game at St. James's Park in the week sort of prior to it. Um and, and as it was, like he 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 didn't get picked at all. And we we sort of went for um just Fabio up top on his own. And then obviously that goal it, it lives with many of us for a long time. Um an awful lot. I think. With um, with Fabio, it was just that season for him is probably one of the best he's had in his career, the one when he's felt most aligned. Because I feel like Fabio, especially since he left Sunderland, hasn't really had a permanent home or somewhere that he's probably had the same level of affinity as he did that season. And when I think back to Fabio, I, I, I don't think so much about the, the rather disappointing second period. I think about Wembley and the goals he scored in that run-up at Chelsea and... Um, and stuff like that. And I, I remember Fabio really well because ultimately he did something that not not a lot of Sunderland players have done and gave me a bit of hope at Wembley and scored at Wembley against a phenomenal Manchester City team. And I think we all remember that day and we know we couldn't have done any more than we did. Um, and Fabio, for, for a short period of time, gave us that sort of memory with a tremendous finish. I just wish he'd got the second one when company made that outstanding tackle. But nonetheless, and... Um, my last choice is Mal Quinn because, oh man, I touched on Bowley and we've touched on Phillips and we've gone through people and talked about how much they mean to Sunderland as a, a football club. And, and Quinny doesn't need any introduction because Quinny's been a manager, a goalkeeper, a striker, a chairman. Um, Hang on, you've already picked Bowley. I was out 92, Bowley. Oh, no, you're right. Oh, hang on, I've messed this up, haven't I? Oh, shit. I'll keep you right at your own game, that's Mr. Fork. That's a really good point, that. Oh, shit, now I'm on the spot. Here we go, and crap. Um, uh, Will Grigg. Um, uh, <laughs> no, it's not Will Grigg. Right, then. Um, you just play Andridge Salutska up front. Just I, I feel bad that I'm not putting Quinny in, right? But you have raised a valid point. I could have 1992 Bowley. And I could have 1998 Nile Quinn, but I'm not going to do that because I think that's cheating. For everyone listening, Quinny gets a thing. But since I'm playing by the rules, realistically, there should only be one man in it. It's well before my time. So far before my time, I wouldn't have even been a thought in my grandparents' mind. Um, 
or my great grandparents' mind. But I think to be a Sunderland fan, you have to be aware of who he is and what you achieved in that time scale. Rich Carter, um, Mule of him for a reason. Sunderland boy, won the league, won the cup well before my time. I'll never remember him. I'll never be able to fully appreciate what he did because I was 70, 80 years before I was born, I think. Well, 60 years. Um, but for Rich Carter to miss a complete, you would probably be wrong. So Rich Carter uh, would be my final trans- choice since I messed the game up that I made the rules for. Um, Brad, <laughs> just to finish the pod, mate, who's your final two? So I've got a defender and a goalkeeper left. <clears throat> so in defence, I'm going to put Benno. Good choice. Gary Bennett. Um from the 92 squad basically because he like Borley is probably Mr Sunderland as well um, match summariser every single game um, loves the club loves the area and was just hard as fuck <laughs> like I'm sorry we've done so well without swearing but there's not no other way <laughs> some Gary Bennett up is just hard as fuck um, so yeah Ben was going in there as well Alongside Alonso at the back, I, I pulled you up on cheating, so I was <laughs> I was going to put John Mack, but obviously I've already used McGeady, so that's a little bit of a cheat as well. Um, so yeah, I haven't got a choice really. I'm just going to be boring. Do I put Jimmy? Nah, I'll make my team good going forward, but could be open to plenty of goals if you get back past, past me back line. Lee Burge. Now, I'm putting them in. It's more for I've got other, any other choice if I want to be different. <laughs> um, <laughs> but to be fair, last season, what we are forgetting is he got in the team of the season for the League One. E- EFL, he got the most clean sheets in the league, I think, or one of the second most. Up, up, he was up there anyway. Kept a clean sheet at Wembley. Um and then this season, obviously, he kept, uh, he, kept um, bad for um, the lads. <laughs> he was going to. He probably would have got his chance. And then he had this his heart condition when Hoffman had COVID. He probably would have. And we had to keep all the Patterson. But you, everyone you speak to who's currently at the club, or if they mentioned Burgie and I spoke to a few of them at the the Player Awards, you speak very highly of him. And Patterson has said how much he helps him. Um. Burge knows that he wasn't going to get in this season again but he said he's just been ever present on the training ground giving him advice helping him out just being a, a, a role model and a top pro and like you say he kept a clean sheet and to be fair what a game he had when you think back Tramia had two or three glorious opportunities and Burge pulled off a couple of fantastic saves so yeah I'm going to stick Burge in there so my team is Lee Burge Gary Bennett Marcus Alonso Aidan McGeady and super Kevin Phillips. To be fair, when you look at the, the team and stuff like that, that we've picked there, um, we're laughing about Lee Burge. And that, you're right, Lee Burge is a, actually a really lovely fella. It's going to turn into a, a, Lee, a, a Lee Burge loving. But um, he's only one of only two goalkeepers to keep a clean sheet at Wembley, I think. Um, the other one being 1973 and Jimmy Monty. But... Um, Really and actually enjoyed doing that. Uh, we're trying to just cram in as much Wembley stuff as we can before we go because it's going to be summer soon and we're going to be not a great deal to do outside of the, the Women's Euro 2020, which I may or may not do something on. But Dave's team, obviously, Jimmy Montgomery in goal, Bardo showing up the back before he's just gone mad attacking in Lee Johnson style with just chucking everything forward and forgetting about the defence. You absolute dollop. Um, Aidan McGee, <laughs> Magic Johnson and Johnny Byrne. My team... Uh, Jimmy Monty, anchored by Max Power, Kevin Ball, Ridge Carter, probably just behind Fabio Barini because I messed up and forgot that I couldn't have Borley and now Quinn. And I think Borley is probably more likely to beat me in a fight than Quinny, even though they probably both would. Um, Brad Lee Burge, because you forgot the same thing and we messed up our own rules. Marcus Alonso. Kevin Phillips, Gary Bennett, and Aidan McGeady. Uh, this will probably be the, the final show that we do before actually getting to Wembley. Of course, we're going to have reaction. Going to try and see what we can record at the match. I don't know if it's going to be possible. Um, we're first and foremost a fan. Second, we do a podcast. 
we haven't got time. Um, but hopefully I can bring something that, you know, is a memory we can cherish and, and have it on record for all of us to listen back to. But if not, like obviously we'll be back with a reaction review and, and all that kind of stuff. But um, thanks for being with us. Thanks for listening to the normal preview show. Thanks for listening to the Conor McLaughlin preview show as well. Thanks for listening to this one. Um, thanks for listening to all the other Sunderland Fanzines podcasts and just kind of helping support just other fans really and, and doing what we do. We're very rarely like to go cheesy in this, but obviously we do appreciate it because we enjoy doing it. It would be a lot harder if you, if you didn't enjoy it. Um, enjoy Wembley. Get behind the lads. Fingers crossed we get over the line. If we don't, you're still going to be there on day one. You know that. And if we do, you know, let's look forward to finishing 15th in the championship or something um, because that's the heady heights of, of football these days. But um, look after yourself, stay safe. And uh, thanks so much for, for joining What The Folk for another Wembley special episode. And um, subscribe if you want. If you don't, it's fine. Don't give a shit. Cool. Thank you very much. <laughs>